one foot in front of the other and let not your fears impede. Look not at the way that you stutter, but at who is listening. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hello and welcome to Secret Project Podcast. I'm Jeff Hinton. And I'm Travis Sutton. Secret Project is a conversation about music, theology, and culture, and where the three smash into each other. So how we're going to do that uh, is we're going to be taking the lectionary, a list of readings that most churches might go through from week to week, uh, and soundtracking them for you, picking out music from popular culture, uh, talking about how those things link up, and how those conversations that we need to have surrounding these issues in these uh, scripture stories uh, still affect our culture today. So uh, to start with that, I thought we'd just get right into it. You think that sounds good? That sounds great. All right. So the first thing we're going to talk about this week is a passage from uh, 1 Kings. So 1 Kings, uh, if you're just tuning in and have no idea what we're talking about, is uh, from the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Uh, It's a book of history uh, of the early Jewish people. And so this is about a guy named Elijah who's a prophet. And Elijah's been out in the woods uh, because God told him to go there. Uh, And there's a big drought in the whole land, uh, but he's been being taken care of. He got put by this river and birds are bringing him food. Uh, And at the beginning of this story... The river dries up and the birds stop coming. That's a bad day. It's really not. Like, when all of you're surviving on is birds that bring you food and the river that you happen to be camped out next to, either of those things going away is a bad day. Uh, and so Elijah has to get up and start moving, and he goes and he meets up with uh, this widow outside of the next town over. Uh, and God says to him, okay, go talk to this woman. And he does. She, and God says, she's going to feed you. And, you know, widows in this time aren't really of high status or have a lot of things that they need to uh, survive. Right, right. Well, and, and the fact that they are in a drought, she's in the same situation that he's in. But, you know, he listens, he goes up and says, hey, woman, like, do you have any bread for me to eat? And she says, well, no, it's me and my little son, my young son, uh, and I barely have enough for us. Uh, I'm gathering these sticks so I can make a fire, so I can make the last of our bread so we can eat and then die. Like, she's really (laughs) upfront about it. Uh, And Elijah, instead of being like, oh, I'm sorry to impose on your bread, uh, says, not do it, it'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. We can make this last just a little bit longer. You don't have to die today. And if you die, maybe like we all die full instead of just... You know, <laughs> uh, but it ends up lasting for a lot longer uh, than it was supposed to, which is great. It's a, it's a miracle. And this woman's like, okay, so you're a man of God. I understand. I trust you. Uh, and then her kid dies anyway. Right, right. Which is something that's really bothering her. I mean, that she is trusting... Now that because he's shown up, that he's kind of got something to bring from God, right? That everything that he's come and shown up with uh, is going to mean that she's going to be okay and that her son is going to be okay. And, you know, we already had one miracle. This bread lasted and that should be enough to nourish them in this drought. And then the kid right. dies anyway. And she looks at him and she says, uh, this is a kind of, I think I'm paraphrasing. She says, is this why you showed up? To remind me of my sin so that, and take my son from me. It's like, is that the only reason that you've been here is to remind me that I'm not worthy of still having my boy around? You know, it, that's one of those things that kind of jumps out. When we're talking to people in the midst of their grief, right? And the things that they say sometimes um, uh, are pain. They're, they're, they're crying out of their pain. They're talking out of their pain. And... Uh, Um, how Elijah is able to respond in the midst of that. 
because Elisha kind of realizes that he's, you know, as much as he's not responsible for this, he's responsible for these people. He came into their lives and made a big, not a mess of it, but a big shift for them. Right. Uh, and so he ends up going and is able to bring the kid back to life. Uh, but at the same time, like that can't be expected for to happen for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I was thinking about this and looking for a soundtrack, I found, uh, have you heard of Kevin Abstract? I'm not. I'm not real familiar with Kevin Abstract. Okay, so Kevin Abstract is a is a new rapper that I really like. Uh, his mixtape is called uh, MTV 1987, uh, which is kind of the era that he's trying to evoke with his stuff. It's kind of a little bit of rap, a little bit of R and B. Uh, really good sound. He's first. This uh, is the first. The song that I want to talk about is called Echo, and it's the first single off of his next album, and I think it's going to be really good. But the the whole song starts with, and I think it really gets to this point about loss and how we deal with it and how. Uh, Sometimes these big changes that cause us grief are things that are supposed to move us forward and to keep us moving on. So the song starts, uh, and the first two lines are, Staring at the sky won't fix my problem. Howling at the moon won't bring you back. Uh, And at the same time, I think this is a song about the constant need to be in motion. Right. Uh, in the face of loss. And uh, Kevin Abstract is talking about how he goes back to all of his old vices. He starts smoking again. He starts doing pot again. And, like, it's not that those things are inherently the problem. It's that they're not making things any better for him. Right. Uh, that these things that he used to do with the, with it's a, it's a friend that he's lost. Mm-hmm. That these things that he used to do with that friend that he's gone back to... Uh, Maybe making a memory of his friend and maybe making uh, something that exists again, uh, but it's not really anything that's helping. Right, right. It's almost like keeping him in that space, right? Keeping the space of grief. And, and without being able to move on. And it also kind of means that he's blaming himself for it. Uh, right. There's a repeated line in the chorus, where did it all fall down and where are you going now? And I think that we kind of have that tendency to both blame ourselves. Mm-hmm. For when we're grieving, and to be stuck somewhere and not know how to go anywhere from there, how to right. make that better, uh, and it's kind of I see a little bit of that in the beginning of this story when Elijah's down by the river and he's got his he's got his birds and his water and those things go away, right? Uh, and it would have been really easy, and we see you know examples of this a lot in scripture when things don't go someone's way of them standing still and yelling at God and not doing anything about it. Right. And that's not to say like you can't yell at God because sometimes right, right. we don't understand things and we yell and we have we want someone to know that we're feeling something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that this idea that we're just howling at the moon, that we're staring at the sky and nothing is changing. Right, right. You know, sometimes I think that uh, I have the conversations when I'm dealing with grief or loss I realized that I'm asking the wrong question. You know, I ask God, why? Why is this happening? Why is this? Why would this happen to me and happen in this situation? And I realized that when I stop asking the question, why is this happening? And I start asking the question, okay, God, what do you want me to learn from this? Or what do you want me to get out of this? That I'm able to move to a new place in my, in my reasoning. And that's not to say that God is making things happen to us so we can right. learn something. It's that God is there teaching us something in In the midst loss. of, yeah. Yeah, because I think that a lot of times what we inadvertently teach people about loss, mm-hmm. the stuff that people say with very, very good intentions 
is the worst thing that anyone who is grieving wants to hear. Mm-hmm. Like this idea of like, oh, it's okay, they're in a better place, which sounds really great that the people that you loved that were suffering are in a better place, but that better place also doesn't have you in it. Right. And that the life know, that they're living now is so much better because you're not there. Right. And my favorite is, well, God just needed another angel Ooh, up in No, heaven. he didn't. No, right? God did not. <laughs> But yeah, those those platitudes that are well-intentioned uh, really end up doing more harm than good with people that are grieving, uh, I find, at least in my experience. So what do we have to, to give people that isn't just staring at the sky and howling at the moon or trying to find this meaning where sometimes there isn't any? <laughs> You know, I think one of the things that we that is most helpful is one of the things that it's hardest for us to do in a busy life that we have, which is simply our presence. Sometimes just being there and not saying anything, but just being with them in the midst of is um, is helpful. Yeah, and that's really hard to do because I don't know about you, I'm really uncomfortable with silence. Yes. Uh, that it's the improv comedian in me that I want to feel this that there's got to be something that i can say something that i can respond to mm-hmm. but when the really the answer is nothing right the answer is that people just want you to be there with them and for them right and anything that i say is probably not going to to help the situation certainly not going to bring them back and it's you know it's not that you go there and sit there and don't do anything and if people ask questions you just say i'm not qualified because that's not helpful either that's passing off right. other people's guilt on something else i don't think that that really does anything but this idea that we can uh be there and you know answer questions when they come up or try but have the ability and the humility because i think that that's an important part of this mm-hmm. as well to admit when we don't know right because that's another thing i'm really bad at yeah, yeah. Because uh, I'm i the kind of person that when someone asks me something I don't know, I talk about it like I do until they figure out I'm wrong. <laughs> I think that you've, you've we've done this a couple of times. Oh, I'm, I'm sure, yeah. I've definitely done this a few times. And uh, and there is that, there's that desire to either not want to admit that we're wrong or feel like we have to fill the space, you know, yeah. that they're expecting an answer. and it may simply be that their question's rhetorical. Yeah. It may simply be that they are the ones that need to say something. Right. Uh, that's something I learned when I was uh, in my pastoral care classes, that the first thing, the first rule of comforting someone who is grieving is you let them speak first, mm-hmm. because that is their moment and not yours. That their grief is theirs and not yours. And this idea that like you can say, I understand what you're going through. You can't because grief is very individual. Right. Uh, grief is very uh, localized to what you want to what you want to say and what you want to feel and what you want to experience because there's a lot of stories wrapped up in grief, and you never know what someone is feeling or why someone is feeling it if you aren't aware of those stories. If you aren't aware of like what memories might be painful or what activities they enjoyed with this person or this thing that they have lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to allow them to own their own grief uh, and to stay in it as long as they want to yeah, uh, with you there. Right. Is, it's a hard thing, but I think it's a necessary one. You know, in the, we, in the Hebrew Bible, 
uh, or in Hebrew tradition, there's this idea of sitting Shiva. And sitting Shiva means that what you would do is you'd actually come and you would sit with the person who's grieving. And you would wear sackcloth and ashes, uh, which were symbols of your grief. And you would just simply stay with them and not do anything else except stay with them in their house until they were ready to move on um, and, or for a designated period of time. And that was um, part of their grieving together in community. And that's another thing that I think we get away from is, you know, we tend to be a very individualized society, right? So We don't every, want to let other people see us. We don't want, yeah, we don't want to let other people see us grieve. We, we want to be an island. Um, we, we feel like we have to be strong for somebody else. You know, there's all kinds of reasons, um, whether it's our pride or whether it's duty or obligation, all kinds of reasons why we don't let people join us in our grief. And we hold them at arm's length. And I think that that's something that we can really help with. That this idea of creating community, mm-hmm. uh, of having this faith community, of having, or any kind of community really, mm-hmm. is that willingness to be vulnerable enough to share our grief and strong enough to take on the grief of others. Mm-hmm. Uh, this idea that the, the woman in the story comes back to is like, is this why you're here? To remind me of my sin. Because, you know, in their culture, anything bad that happened to you was because you did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And so this man of God who's performing miracles shows up and your son dies. Your first instinct is to think, well, this is, this is you showing up to tell me that I was bad. Yeah, this is God's conviction. And you know what? We hear that. Um, sometimes we hear that narrative uh, even today. Um, and I think that that's, not, that's definitely not helpful because it puts us at odds with, with a God that um, doesn't desire to cause harm to us is uh, and only desires to bring us grace. And I, th- I see this a little bit in the middle of, of Echo, the, the Kevin Abstract tune, uh, where he defines himself. This is kind of a, a self-narrative uh, where he says he was a bad son, uh, and that repeats, and so the only thing left for him to do was to leave. Uh, and I think that sometimes we find ourselves in that same situation where we self-define ourselves as having deserved this or, or having done some wrong. And so we have to like, remove ourselves from the situation until we fix our own, our own self, our own uh, problems. And I think what this is, is that that idea that we always have to be moving is still a good thing. Uh, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, that idea that we have to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't mean that you, you leave because you were bad and you have to go somewhere else to find someone that will tell you that you're good. You leave because of that thing at the beginning where we stare up and we yell at nothing and that doesn't change anything. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we need to leave. Mm-hmm. The things that make us comfortable, even in grief, aren't always good for us. Yeah, well, and that's, you know, he was obviously, Elijah was obviously in a comfortable spot or maybe not real comfortable, but he was getting by on water and bread and birds. Um, so when when we get in that situation where we're getting by, um, even if we're at the place where um, even if we're at the place where we are uh, not healthy, but we're functional, right? We're functional in our brokenness, but we're not healthy. But yet we we stay that place until circumstances force us out of that place. And it's only when circumstances force us out of that place that we start to seek actual wholeness and health. 
and maybe we need I don't think we need as uh, as people to go like shove people out of their brokenness <laughs> but I think that sometimes there are big shifts that make us look at like okay where are we yeah and what's what's been going on with this and we have to take stock of what we've been doing and where our lives have led us to this point and mm-hmm. that's that I think that that's that echo right that we we that sometimes when we howl into nothing, mm-hmm. we hear something back. Yeah, and sometimes that's our own voice, and that's enough to let us realize what we sound like. Right. Uh, but sometimes it's something bigger. Right. And I think listening for that for that echo mm-hmm. in those moments where we just find ourselves uh, shouting into the void because we don't understand, which once again I'll reiterate is completely healthy and sometimes necessary. Right. Uh, it's when we keep doing that uh, without listening for the echo right that I think we get into trouble right because it's um, because the echo can uh, can at times be the voice of God right that we're that we're listening for yeah I think that that's really helpful and, and a different way to look at what we're teaching people about if you want to join in a conversation you can follow us on Twitter I'm at JM Esquire. And I'm at W.T. Uten. Or you can follow the show at Secret Project Cast or email us at secretprojectpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, our theme song is Variable by the Midnight Suns. They're a band out of Raleigh that was kind enough to let us use their music. Uh, you can find a link to their music in the description. You should go check them out. They're really good, and they're friends of ours, which is also important. Uh, we'll see you next week.